0: The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Okay, you all do know, right, that uh, man cannot live by bread alone, or should, not how's that go? Shall not live by bread alone, you know that, right? And you also know, don't you, that uh, if you're going to succeed in life and really press on, you want to go the extra mile, right? You know that? And you know that uh, we don't want anybody to fall by the wayside, right? Falling by the wayside, that's not good. And then you also know, keep this in mind when my sermons, when I start to repeat myself, there's nothing new under the sun. You know that, right? You got, you got that down there? And then you also know, let's see, that we need to get to the root of the matter. We don't want to just touch on the surface And you've also heard the phrase, the writing on the wall. Have you ever heard that? You know that there's actually dozens of phrases that have become part of our vocabulary that actually originated in the Bible. Daniel chapter 5 has a big one here, and that is that idea of the writing being on the wall. That's what the story is in Daniel chapter 5 that we're going to look at. Now, before we do for just a second here, when I was studying this this week and listening to different sermons on Daniel chapter 5... The one guy, at first I thought it was interesting, then I decided I'd bore you with it, but he went through, and there's this, uh, if you're not familiar with the story, there's a hand that comes up, and it does some writing on the wall, and Daniel has to interpret it, but the writing on the wall is unclear, Uh, actually what was happening is it was skipping the vowels. Okay? They, you know, they had, they needed to buy a vowel. That's where that phrase came from. No, I'm just kidding. I think that came from Vanna White and Pat Sajak. But, uh, but, uh, they had this phrase up there where they had to, uh, put the pieces together. Nobody could do it but Daniel, and he figured that out. So, um, I, uh, he went through this whole explanation of how he did it, and at first I thought it was pretty interesting. I spent a long time trying to prepare to share it with you, and then I decided it was boring. I didn't want to bore you uh, with this explanation, but he also went through, and he said this is kind of like a, B- a Bible riddle, and he, in his sermon, gave about 12 of them. I'm not going to give you 12, but I, th- I, I wanted to pick out a couple of bad Bible riddles just to wake up your brain for a second. Okay, you ready? First one is this. What did Adam say the day before Christmas? It's Christmas Eve. <laughs> did, I, did I mention that these are bad? Uh, okay. When Adam's kids asked him why they no longer lived in the Garden of Eden, do you know what he said? Your mother ate us out of house and home. I'm sorry. Uh, I had to go with that. Okay. Then this, this one I liked. Uh, who is the greatest financier in the Bible? financier. Okay, you ready? It was Noah because, let's see if I can say this right, he floated his stock while everybody else was in liquidation. <laughs> all, right, all right, and then you got, of course, the, the old one. Hopefully, you know this one. Uh, how did Moses make his coffee? He brews it. Yeah, okay, there, there you go with that. Okay, we won't torture you anymore. Uh, we'll, go, we'll go on with that. I, like I said, this guy did 12 of those. And people still listen to them. I mean, it was a big church. I don't know. I must not have the skill of delivering them. But in fact, we should just give a collective groan. <laughs> that just hurt everybody right there. Okay. Uh, actually going to start in chapter 2 here. Uh, the story is of this guy by the name of Belshazzar. We'll tell you more about him in a minute, but he is now the king of Babylon. He is the son of the guy we've been talking about here for a while, Nebuchadnezzar. And when he tasted the wine, sorry, I need to stop for just a second. This phrase isn't a great translation. When he tasted the wine, it doesn't just mean, hmm, that was tasty. It means he was getting, I don't know what the word is for drunk now that's popular, you know, snockered. That's a pretty old one. Uh, Stoned, I I don't know what you say now. But whatever it was, he was getting there. Okay, he was a little bit too happy uh, at this point and kind of losing control. And he commanded that the vessels, okay, he's tasted the wine. He's commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple of Jerusalem, be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, his concubines, might drink from them. We're going to have a major party here. Then he brought the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king, his lords, and his wives, and his concubines drank from them, and they drank wine, and they praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. So in other words, this guy was very much, now I've mentioned around here, and we're going to come back to this in a second, I don't really view this building as a, if you want to say, a sacred place. Well, I shouldn't say that. Hopefully it is dedicated to the Lord. But I think your home can be every bit as much of a sacred place dedicated to the Lord. In other words, even as we look at the uh, communion, you know, these little trays here and everything like that, it's not like, oh, uh, you know, never, never use that as a Frisbee. Now, I won't say that I've tried to juggle the, uh, the communion plates. I won't tell you about that because you might find that disrespectful. But truth is, those things are not in the same sense as they were in the Old Testament when the sacrificial law was in place. And these vessels that had been taken from the temple of Jerusalem, were considered to be very sacred. And this is very much this Belshazzar basically saying, in your face, God, <laughs> I don't really care. I don't respect you. I don't believe in you. I'm not afraid of you, God. I'm going to do whatever I want. So here's our first word to describe this guy by the name of Belshazzar, here now the king of Babylon, I'm pretty proud of this word. I had to look it up in my thesaurus to find it. Uh, I wanted to go with H's, and we need a word for arrogant. We need a le- word for overly proud. Do you like that? Uh, but uh, we, the first thing we see in this guy was this idea of hubris. Okay? Now, I don't think very many of us ever get to the place where it's like, I don't care about you, God. You know, God, go ahead. You know, we, we mentioned last week the old uh, smite me, thou mighty smiter, you know. I don't think we many of us get in the place just just, God, I don't care about you in your face. In fact, I would rather doubt that there's anybody in this room that is making that proclamation, and you probably wouldn't be here today. God, I don't give a rip what you say. I don't give a rip what you think. Uh, I'm going to do what, what I want. But I do think many times with our lives, we basically say, God, I don't really care. In other words, in our decisions, we basically say, I know what I Should do here. I know what the Lord would have me to do. I'm well aware of that, but I'm going my own way. So there is a place in our lives uh, definitely where hubris could get in there. I know what God wants, but let's see what happened next in the story. Verse number five immediately, I want to mention this again. This is not always the case. God does not always say, Right away, I'm going to judge you. In fact, very often, you might remember from the story last week, uh, it was a year before Nebuchadnezzar was kind of like in-your-face God, and God said, we're going to humble you. It was a year before God said, here's what you are going to face, and it took a year before that happened. But anyway, immediately, the fingers of a human hand. I'll be honest with you, I studied this this week. I don't think we actually know if this was just a hand or if it was like an angel of God and his handwriting on the wall. Uh, you say, well, if you want to see it, is it, was it Adam's family, his cousin, it? Do I have that right? Or thing? 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 Was it thing? Okay, whatever it is. You might kind of visualize that, this hand that comes out, and it's just a hand. Uh, or you might see this, this angel of the Lord. But he wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand, and the king saw the hand as it wrote. And look at this, the king's color changed. And his thoughts alarmed him. You see, I'm kind of, whoa, this isn't good. Uh, And his limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. Okay, I'm kind of liking this. This guy that was so arrogant and, God, you don't scare me a bit. I'm going to party. I'm going to do what I want. All of a sudden, this hand appears, begins to write on the wall, and the king says, "Ah, maybe not. Maybe I shouldn't have gone this way. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters of the Chaldeans and the astrologers. Somebody's got to tell me what this writing is all about. He's trying to get these, if you want to say they're wise men together again there. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing, shows me its interpretation, shall be clothed with purple, have a chain of gold around his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Okay, there's me. There's my vice president, and then there's you. Okay, you get a promotion, you get a gold robe, you get this. All you have to do is tell me what this writing is all about. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing. Or make known to the king the interpretation that King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. By the way, his name, Belshazzar, you might remember was very similar to the new name that they gave Daniel, Belteshazzar which Daniel did, chose not to go by, but we do find it several times. Uh, both of them tied to the god, Bel and uh, worshiping him and exalting him. Both of those names were given uh, with him. But anyway, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. So if you get the picture here, okay, first of all, we said that the king's hubris, he was defiant of God. Second thing we see in this story is his horror, horror. Okay, now he's scared. Okay, now he finally figured out, hey, maybe I'm a little uncomfortable with this whole thing. I wanted to mention this, and this is one of those things you can kind of take and say, okay, I don't know if I agree with him completely or not. But uh, I don't really believe there are atheists. You say, well, wait a minute, I am an atheist or I know an atheist or anything like that. I think there are people that have chosen to deny and say that they don't believe in God, but I believe, and and this is from Romans chapter 1, but I believe everybody really knows that there's a God. Now, you can disagree. That's okay. We won't fight about that. Uh, But, uh, you know, they might decide, hey, I'm just not going to believe in Him. I'm not going to accept Him. But bottom line is, I think everybody in their heart somewhat has a knowledge that there's a God. I think that's what Again, Romans chapter 1, if you look at that, I think that teaches they know there's a God. So when this guy, when Belshazzar is defying this God, I'm not afraid of him. I think in the back of his mind is saying, "Eh, maybe I'm a little afraid of him. And by this time, he's scared to death of him. Okay, The horror has hit, and he's figured out, hey, this God that I'm making fun of, uh, bottom line is, I think he's real. Now, for the next section, I'm going to read a little bit to you. Here, I'm sorry, I don't don't have all the words on the screen, but if I can just kind of tell the story, it says, then Daniel, okay, I'm sorry, I'm jumping down to verse number 17. But uh, they brought Daniel in. Remember, the king has said, I'm going to give you the third position in the kingdom. I'm going to give you uh, a robe. I'm going to give you jewelry. I'm going to make you rich. Uh, Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself. Give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I'm going to tell you what the writing on the wall. I'm going to tell you about it. Verse number 18, O king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. Okay, he he said, listen, buddy, your dad was very powerful. You know why he was powerful? Because God gave that to him. And we've looked at that. Okay, God is the one who sets people up and down. God sets people in in charge. He is nothing without God. And at one point in his life, I'm going to paraphrase some of this here. At one point in his life, he decided that he was all that, and God didn't have anything to do with it, and your dad began to defy God like you just did, and God told him he was going to, you remember the story last week, God told him he was going to live as a beast of the field, okay? God said, I'm going to humble him. And uh, and that's exactly what happened. And when that happened, when you, when you uh, read that story and you and you see what happened there, when that happened, buddy, here's what it, uh, he he humbled himself. He finally got to the place where he said, "I believe in the Most High God. He rules over the kingdom of man and sets over whom he will." Remember that phrase that was in there three times in chapter five. Four? God is in charge. He finally figured that out. Okay, I get it. God's in charge. And you, his son, Belshazzar, verse number 22, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. Okay, you knew that story. You knew your dad got cocky, and God humbled him. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords and your wives and your concubine have parted away. You have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which you did not see or hear, but the God in whose hand is your breath. Okay, don't miss that phrase. Daniel says, the God who's keeping you alive, buddy, and whose whose are all your ways you have not honored. Okay? You've had this wild party. You've thrown it in the face of God. You've worshiped the false gods, but the God... The God who keeps you alive. You kind of thrown it in his face. Verse number 24, and then from his presence, the hand was sent. So God sent this hand to write. And the phrase, verse number 25, meaning, meaning, tekel, parson. And here's the interpretation. Again, I'm saving you my long uh, explanation here. But uh, the interpretation, he says, basically, the first word means God has numbered your days, the days of your kingdom, and brought it to an end. Secondly, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. I'm sorry, I've, I've mentioned before that my family and I have far too many movie quotes that we go to. The night's tale, you have been weighed, you have been measured, you have been found wanting. Uh, but anyway, the kingdom is divided and given to the Medes of the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple, a chain of gold put around his neck, and the proclamation was made about him that he would be the third rule in the kingdom. But listen, that very night... Daeshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. Darius and the Medes received the kingdom. Darius came in being about 62 years old. So that very night, and some of you that might be history buffs, you might remember the story of how they dried up the the Euphrates and and came in under the wall, and and they took it. And this is a transfer of world kingdoms. Okay, Assyria was first. It was replaced by Babylon. And now Babylon is being replaced by the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. But Daniel had said Here's what's going to happen, buddy. And that very night, again, immediately that happened. You have defied God. God has said you have been weighed, you have been measured, you have been found wanting, and tonight this kingdom's coming out of your hand because it is God who's in charge of his hands to begin with. So the third thing that happened in Belshazzar's story is that he is humbling. His hubris, his horror, and his humbling uh, is what we see in there. But as we move forward from there, um, I thought this week we would not spend a lot of time on God being in control of the kingdoms. We've been talking about that. God is large and in charge. We get that. However, I have to review just a couple things with some pithy, pithy, pith, clever, pithy? What's that word? Pithy? That's probably not what we want anyway. Is anybody here today? I don't know. Pithy? Is that the word? I don't know. Uh, but anyway, here's, here's one of the quotes. God places and displaces kingdoms. And here's the quote, if God placed and has not yet displaced, then he sanctions what's going on. And I, we talked about this last week, so this is review, but I hope we remember that. If God puts somebody in charge, he hasn't removed them, then God sanctions it. Okay, I think that brings us a lot of peace of mind. You know, I'm not saying that's who you voted for, that, I'm not saying that's who you like, I'm not saying, you know, that you think it's great. In fact, if we can remember this, this would be a good one too. God promises that we, okay, God doesn't promise that we'll have a godly leader. God does promise that we'll have God's leader. Ooh, (laughs) I'm impressed. Uh, uh, Nobody else gives a rip, but I'm impressed by that statement. But if we can remember that, God does not promise that we'll always have a godly person in control. But God does promise that we'll always have his person in control. So God will manipulate earthly kingdoms so that his heavenly kingdom will flourish. We can get that down there. That's, That's who God is. And that's kind of the overwhelming lesson here that we learn about the kingdoms is basically God is large and in charge. But what I want to do with this text today a little bit as far as application goes is get us to look at this nasty little word right here, pride. I think it would be wise for us to make this personal, (laughs) to take my little quote again, to get to the root of the matter, because so often when it comes to things in our lives, pride is at the root of things. Um, Put out there, uh, Google says that 90 million selfies are taken every day. I, I mentioned in the letter, letter this week, if you have a teenager, you probably think that's a little low. Uh, but uh, you think, I think my kid has half of those. But uh, 90 million selfies taken every every day. Uh, and then they also said that, let's see, 24 billion are uploaded, selfies are uploaded every year. 24 billion selfies. I'm just suggesting that maybe we're a little obsessed with ourselves sometimes. <laughs> maybe this is a, a little bit of a curse that we all are under here. But this sin, it is a strange one to me. Jerry Bridges wrote a book about 10 years ago called Respectable Sins. And the first one, the main one that he targets, is this idea of pride. Because we can all, if I were to say to you, okay, how many of you have lied this past week? I don't know if anybody put up their hand, especially if your wife's sitting beside you. What was it? Uh, You're not going there. If I were to say to you, anybody murdered anybody this past week? You know, probably not a lot of confession here. Uh, Prosecutor Mike Canabie's right over here, writing down your name. Uh, but uh, you know, there's a. I, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, you wouldn't uh, anybody in here committing adultery right now. <laughs> you know, we're not raising our hands on any of these sins. However, if I were to say, how many of you struggle with pride? Probably. Yeah. Yeah, I struggle with pride. Everybody does. It, it's 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 okay to admit that because we figure everybody does, and we figure it's not all that bad a sin. But I'd like us to think of that sin a little bit more today as not being so much respectable, but being detestable and, and being the root of a lot of other problems. It's, it's not easy to recognize in our lives because I was thinking, you know, Friday morning, um, I'm know old age, but some mornings I wake up at 4 and I can't get back to sleep. That is so irritating. But I am learning uh, that, hey, you're up. You might as well just get out of bed. Stop bothering your wife by rolling over and groaning. Uh, get out of bed, and I'm taking the dog for a walk. Okay, early in the morning like that. And I remember I thought, well, I know what I should be doing. I should be praying. And I was praying about this message, about pride. And I'm not kidding. Here's exactly what my prayer said. God, you know, usually I can relate to this a little bit better, but I don't really have much of a problem with pride. Yeah, Uh, but I really said that. I was like, God, this isn't a big problem in my life, you know, and and hey, it's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am, Uh, but, uh, you know, I really just thought about, but for how many of us it's exactly like that? This is something that is very, very hard to see in my life. So I want to take a minute and go through, Uh, again, when I'm looking up little sermons on this text, uh, one of the sermons was entitled, Ten Signs That You Have Problems With Pride. So I went through that list of ten, and then I looked up, I googled some other lists that were both secular and Christians, and what I have here for you, well, Steve Harvey is on you here, but I have the top three answers, okay, that appeared on the most lists. Three signs that we have trouble with pride. Number one, griping. Okay, one of the best signs to say you have trouble with pride is if you are griping. I thought this was a pretty good quote here. The language of arrogance is the language of complaining and criticizing. The language of humility is that of gratitude and encouragement. That's pretty profound, isn't it? I mean, that's really, I mean, if you came and you say, I'm not getting anything out of this, get that. Okay, write that down and take that. That's good stuff right there. Uh, The language of arrogance is the language of griping and, and complaining, everything like that, but the language of humility is that of gratitude and encouragement. Okay, you ready for number two? The second answer is on the board. I'm guessing that didn't come out all that well. It looks real nice back there if you want to see it. Uh, The problem is I had, there's a, uh, I can't even find it up there. Uh, But uh, the the beliefs that your feelings are the most reasonable. Okay, there you go. Yeah, went. Well, we got the number one answer, too, but whatever. Uh, that your feelings are the most reasonable. They had to, ch- yeah, the P, you never even did change the P. Uh, that is my mistake. That was my typo. They were trying to change that. I think how that, that all got kind of scrambled there. If those of you who are not good at spelling, reasonable does not have a P in the middle like that. Uh, so just so you know, I think I was supposed to hit O. But, uh, okay, the belief that my feelings and my desires and my views are basically, they're the, most, they're the ones that make sense. This is really practical for us right now because there are so many issues today that we have so many different opinions on. I don't want to mention any of them, <laughs> start fights, uh, anything like that, but there are so many issues where we have so many different opinions on. Pr- a way to tell that we might have pride is that I'm right. I'm right. And if you disagree with me, you're wrong. Bottom line, uh, that, that's where it goes. Someone has said, oh, I'm sorry, not someone said, I saw a headline that said 40% of men believe that they are one in a thousand. Here's what, that's, here's what that is based on. There was a one of these Christian uh, websites. I'm sorry, it wasn't Christian, but a dating website, dating website. And the guys were asked the question, do you consider yourself a genius? Two out of five said yes. Two out of five on the website listed themselves as a genius. The real odds are like one in a thousand. So they put up the headline, 40% of men think themselves one in a thousand. Uh, men, I think, in particular, have a little overinflated opinion of ourselves. Ladies, you can amen there if you, if you like. Uh, but all of us, I think, get a little bit too impressed with our own opinions. And this, of course, is going to lead to fights. Uh, the other person is the one that always has to apologize because we are right and we're pushing forward our desires, which leads us to our third one, which is that we are easily offended. So top three ways we know we have pride, we're a griper, we think we're always right, and we are easily offended. Does that offend you that I said that? I don't know. Uh, it, it might, I'm not sure. But you know, definitely, you know, you watch this with people when they get where you see pride coming out. And uh, you know, we've talked about this, Tony, we've talked about that. When you see somebody who comes across as arrogant, when you see somebody who comes at, usually they have been like threatened and they get where they're defending themselves. Does that, does that make, make sense? Uh, so you have said something about me, that offended me, that hurt. By the way, the, this word offense yeah, I, I've mentioned this before. When it is used in the Bible that we are not to offend people, it really means to cause somebody to stumble, to fall away from the Lord. It doesn't mean hurt your feelings. But in this sense, I'm using it, hurt your feelings. Okay? I easily have my feelings hurt. And, you know, some, you have said something. If we can live our lives secure in our identity in Jesus Christ, then I'm going to develop this a little bit more in a minute, but let me say again, if we can live our lives secure in our identity in Jesus Christ, in other words, what He has done, the difference that He's made in my life, then I have nothing to prove. Okay? If I'm living my life with nothing to prove to everybody else, then it is very hard to offend me. Okay? So, those three things. Now, let's let's look at the remedy here quickly. Uh, to the whole pride thing since we, ha- we can detect it in our lives. Let's look at the remedy. And Jesus said, uh, in telling a little parable here, he, s- he said, when you are invited by someone at a wedding feast, uh, to a wedding feast, do not sit down at the place of honor, lest someone else more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. Then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. The Bible talks about the idea that he that lifts himself up will be humbled, he that humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus illustrates that here. When you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he'll say to your friend, move up to a higher place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he that humbles himself is exalted." Um, I'm going to encourage uh, small groups this week to look at a bunch of different things in the New Testament about pride and humility. But one of the other ideas in Philippians 2, we are admonished to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And uh, this is is actually a good statement here, if if you can think about this and and develop a little bit. Humility is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I got to dig into that a little bit this week. But basically, we can love others and treat others right when we understand how much we're loved. We can forgive others when we understand how much we are forgiven. Uh, we can, when, when we get that identity, when we understand that we are who we are because of what he has done and not, of our, not ourselves, uh, in fact, uh, James chapter 4 reminds us that every stinking beat, I threw the stinking in there, of our heart is a gift from God. First Corinthians, in both chapters 1 and 4, we find that uh, Paul said, I am glad for God to be glorified in whatever happens. It's not about me. Mark 10, Jesus really developed what true grace, great, greatness is, but here's what it comes down to. Again, okay, the... If you want to take one thing away, okay, make, make it worth coming today. Okay, here, here's, here's a couple ideas to wrap things up. We've talked a lot about the idea that we get so wrapped up in the kingdoms of men. That becomes our consuming passion, and we forget about the kingdom of God. Remember last week we talked about that whole idea that, you know, Christians could get half as passionate about people who are not going to Heaven, they don't know Jesus Christ. If they could get half as passionate about that kingdom as we get about things, the kingdom of earth, it would make a huge difference here. Well, here's a phrase about the kingdom of God. In God's kingdom, leaders serve. Real simple. In God's kingdom, leaders serve. So if you could take this approach, if we could take this approach in our lives, every time I walk into the room, I ask God, who do you want to serve through me today? Think about that. Just God, who do you want, uh, I walk into a room at home with my family, God, who do you want to serve through me today? I walk into a place at work, who do you want to serve through me today? I walk into the church on Sunday morning and I say, God, who do you want to serve through me today? Okay? Understand this is that remedy for that pride that says, hey, it's all about me and I'm easily offended and, uh, you know, and you know, i lifting myself up to the place where the writing's on the wall. And humility is coming because I'm all about me. And that writing is on the wall. It may not in fact it probably has not happened immediately like it did for Belshazzar but when we're lifting ourselves up, when we're exalting ourselves, when it is all about me in life, the writing's on the wall. We're headed for humility. But when we humbly follow If you want to, what would Jesus do? Jesus would serve, okay? He's the servant king, okay? And in his kingdom, leaders serve. No greater example um, or illustration, I guess you'd say, of the fact that Jesus is, is our servant king and that he came for the very reason that he would lay down his life for us. And uh, we, we're going to take the time today to remember that Jesus laid down his life for us. I want to explain just a word about that. Um, we, uh, we still have some of these uh, individual cups up here that we've used during the COVID with communion. If that is a more comfortable thing for you and you want to take that there up here. I did drink a couple this morning to make sure that they weren't like the wine that Belshazzar uh, had. And they, and they haven't passed expiration date. I did, I did check that. Now, I wouldn't say they're super tasty, but they're they're there and, and maybe a little safer. And then we'll have the communion the way uh, we've done before where uh, you have a the cracker that you can pick up on one hand and the juice on the other. And we're going to play a little song uh, that during that time you can come up and uh, serve yourself in that. But I, I did want to mention, I, I said earlier that these items that were taken, these uh The cups from the temple, the chalices from the temple that were taken and celebrating, in that time and in that culture, they were seen as very sacred items. So to use them was in your face, God. I mentioned we don't really have that now. Again, in that you know, okay, wait a minute, you know this this is somehow holier than your average piece of metal. We don't we don't really have that. However, this event that we do today if you want event probably isn't the right word uh it's an ordinance of the church is to be regarded very somberly or taken very seriously and i I want you to remind you that because that that is the the words that come to us from scripture is that we are not to enter into what we're going to do right now lightly um the requirement is not that you join a church The requirement is not that you be part of, or a member of this church. The requirement for observing the Lord's Supper, Jesus basically said, those who are believing in Jesus Christ. We're going to take a little cracker here that we use to symbolize the bread that Jesus gave on the night in which he was betrayed. And uh, the bread is to represent the body of Christ. He said, this is my body broken for you. God became a man took on human flesh so that he could live in that body and so that that body could re- be ripped apart, paying the price for our sin, okay? So we are to remember that. We're, we're to take some time and, and seriously, and then we take the cup, and Jesus said, this, is, this cup is the new covenant. Whole, whole new deal okay it's a whole new deal it's not about works it's not about trying to you know somehow appease god and do enough good it's not about that this is a new covenant i've i've made with you that, that that what we trust in is the shed blood of jesus christ okay his blood covered my sin and he said just believe in me put your faith and trust in me and i say all that to say that if your belief is in jesus christ as savior you're invited to join us for communion. If not, I want you to feel very comfortable just to sit and watch and may wait. Or if there's another reason that for whatever reason today that you decide you, you don't want to observe the Lord's Supper, please feel very comfortable just to to watch. I mean, we'll have an atmosphere where some people are getting up and getting the elements and some are not. I also did want to say if you're... Uh, we're trying to still be very cautious about crowds. That's completely understandable. We're going to play the music long enough so that after the crowd dies down, you can come come up uh, and uh, and get get the elements like that. And uh, I'll try to be sens- sensitive of that. But, um, you know, they're going to play a song about the Lamb, the Lamb of God, for that's what Jesus was. He was the sacrificial Lamb uh, that laid down His life for us. And I just want to encourage you on this day to... <laughs> remember, if if we're going to talk about being a servant, if we're going to move forward in a, walking in humility and not in pride, we have no better example than the king of the universe, the king of the universe, who could have at any moment said, you know what, I'm tired of this Roman kingdom, I'm going to wipe them out, and a lot of his followers wanted to do that, but that's not what he came to do, he came down to lay his life down as a sacrifice. So I pray that as we uh, close the service taking communion that you'll be able to do that. Now when everyone is back seated again, we'll take the elements together then. But at this time, I'm going to invite you to come and get the elements if you would like to be part of sharing in the Lord's Supper. Father, um, I know I say this every time, Lord, but I bow my head to pray to thank you. And then I think about what I'm saying thank you for. And it catches me that, you know, I say the word thank you like I was talking to a waitress who refilled my drink. I'm talking to the God of the universe who loved me enough to make it so that I could be reunited with him, that I could have my sins forgiven, that I could have a relationship with him who loved me so much that in his holiness and in his perfection, he couldn't tolerate sin. A price had to be paid, so he sent his own son to pay that price. That's overwhelming, God. I ask that your Spirit would continue to overwhelm us with that truth as we observe uh, communion here today. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.